0: community. Glad that you're here. As Paul said in his Ephesian letter unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among you the unsearchable riches of Christ. encourage you to get your Bible and search the scriptures. Feel free to take whatever notes you might like to take. As Brother Rader mentioned, the topic before us tonight, and if God permit, tomorrow night and throughout Sunday, concerns the Holy Spirit, Let me quickly point out at the outset of our study that our only source of valid information concerning the Holy Spirit is the book that lies open before us tonight, the Bible, the Word of God. Apart from divine inspiration, to borrow the language of these in Ephesus as reported in Acts chapter 19 and verse 2, we would have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Are you aware that the Bible is the product of the Holy Spirit? In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, Paul said, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Bible, the Word of God, has been revealed by the Holy Spirit of God. In the book of Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, Peter wrote, "'Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost.'" So to read the Bible is to read what the Holy Spirit has revealed about Himself. And within the pages of the Bible, the Word of God, we find that the Holy Spirit has chosen to identify Himself by different terms. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the Holy Ghost Matthew 1, 18, the Spirit of God Matthew 3:16, the Spirit Matthew 4:1, the Spirit of your Father Matthew 10:20, the Spirit of the Lord Luke 4:18, the Holy Spirit Luke 11:13, the Spirit of truth John 14:17, the comforter John 15:26, the Spirit of the living God 2 Corinthians 3:3, 3, 3. the eternal Spirit Hebrews 9:14, the Spirit of grace in Hebrews 10:29 and the Spirit of Christ in First Peter chapter 1 and in verse 11. As Peter said in First Peter 4 and verse 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so we use these terms by which the Holy Spirit has revealed Himself as we discuss the Holy Spirit of God. There is certainly a great deal of misinformation and confusion in the religious world concerning the subject before us this weekend. And let me suggest to you that that confusion may be attributed to some things that are not to be blamed. This confusion, first of all, is not of God, for God is not the author of confusion. So said Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. Nor is all the confusion concerning the Holy Spirit due to a lack of information on the subject. If you'll take up and read the 66 books that make up your Bible, you'll find that there is much to be learned about the Holy Spirit of God. Nor is it that the information that we have cannot be understood. Maybe some would say that the information is ambiguous or it's uncertain or it's unclear in its meaning. No, the Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 4 that the revelation by the Spirit may be understood. Paul said, when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And so if all the confusion concerning the Holy Spirit is not of God, it's not due to a lack of information or because of the information being incapable of being understood, then why all the confusion concerning the Holy Spirit? That's what we want to look at in our study tonight. Why all the confusion concerning the Holy Spirit? Let me suggest to you, first of all, that one reason there's a lot of confusion concerning the Holy Spirit is because of people not knowing the Scriptures. The basic cause of religious confusion and error is a failure to know the Scriptures. Just like when there was misinformation and confusion concerning the resurrection in the first century. When Jesus answered the Sadducees in Matthew 22 and verse 29 saying, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures. If men and women today would do what Jesus called upon folks to do in the first century in the book of John chapter 5 and verse 39, and that is search the scriptures... And if we would do what those in Berea did in Acts 17 and verse 11 when they searched the scriptures daily and accept what the Holy Spirit has revealed about Himself rather than listening to and accepting the misguided testimony of men then there would not be so much confusion about the Holy Spirit. Instead of reading the book that was revealed by the Holy Spirit there are those who are reading books written by men about the Holy Spirit. And thus not knowing the scriptures folks are confused about the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5 Paul said that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. But a second reason why there is much misunderstanding concerning the Holy Spirit is due to false teaching concerning the godhead. The word godhead is a scriptural term it appears 3 times in the testament of Christ in Paul's sermon at Athens in Acts 17:29. In the first chapter of his letter to the Romans, in verse 20, and then in the Colossian letter in chapter 2 and in verse 9, there is a doctrine that has been advocated that suggests that there is but one person in the Godhead, Jesus only, that Jesus is the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yet the Bible teaches that the Godhead is composed and comprised of three separate and distinct persons namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you could make a list of a number of passages where all three are mentioned. Some of those are projected before you in Matthew 28 and in verse 19 in Matthew's account of the Great Commission. You recall where Jesus said to the apostles, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. And this is a simple matter of arithmetic to determine how many persons are in the Godhead. He says the Father, there's one. And of the Son, there's two, and of the Holy Ghost. Now how many persons did you read in that passage? Three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in the book of First Peter chapter 1 and in verse 2, another passage that mentions all three. Just take time to count those and add those up to recognize that there are three persons in the Godhead. As Peter spoke of God the Father, he mentioned the Spirit and Jesus Christ. All three were present at the creation. When you go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and we read where the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And in the first chapter of John, as well as Colossians, references made to the fact that Christ was at the beginning, that all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Also, we find that all three were present at the baptism of Jesus. In Matthew 3, 16 and 17, you find Jesus standing in the water. And then the Spirit descending like a dove. The Spirit is not a dove, but descended like a dove. And then you had the Father's voice from above. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so if there is but one person in the Godhead, Jesus only, how do you account for that? How do you explain the baptism of Jesus also the scriptures ascribe deity to each the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit but show that they are distinct one from the other notice please that the Father is God that is he is divine in his nature in John chapter 6 and verse 27 the Bible talks about God the Father but he is not the Son nor is he the Holy Spirit for God the Father has knowledge the Son does not possess. Mark chapter 13 and verse 32. And the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. As stated in John five nineteen through 23. Just as the Father is God, but He's not the Son, He is not the Holy Spirit. He is separate and distinct from the Holy Spirit. For the Father would send the Holy Spirit, according to John 14 and verse 26. And Peter penned in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2 that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of the Father, listen, through sanctification of the Spirit. And so the Father is God, but He's not the Son. And He is distinct from the Holy Spirit. As we can understand that, we ought to appreciate also that the Son is God. No, He's not the Father, He's not the Holy Spirit, but He is God. That is, He is divine. He possessed the attributes of deity and That is seen clearly from Hebrews 1 and verse 8, where the Father referred to the Son as God. In the book of Hebrews 1, 8, He said, Thy throne, O God. And so I know that the Son is divine in His nature, but He is not the Father. For according to John 8 and verse 29, He did those things that pleased the Father. Now if Jesus and the Father one, the same, then He'd do the things that pleased Himself. And that creates a problem because in Romans chapter 15, Paul said Christ pleased not Himself. And so how do you explain that? No, He is not the Father because He did those things that pleased the Father. And according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, He received honor and glory from the Father. Just as He is God, but He's not the Father, He is separate and distinct from the Holy Spirit. For the Son received the promise of the Holy Spirit... Acts 2 and verse 33. And the Bible teaches in Romans 8 and verse 1 that those who are in the Son walk after the Spirit. As the Father is God, but he's distinct from the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is God, but He's separate from the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. He is divine, as much as the Father and Son are divine, but He is distinct from the Father and the Son. To realize that the Holy Spirit is God. You remember in Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira lied and died, were carried and buried, that they were said to have not lied unto men, but unto God. And they were told that he had lied to the Holy Ghost. Acts 5, and in verse 3, notice Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to, to who? The Holy Ghost. Then in verse 4, he said, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto, unto who? Unto God. And so when he lied to the Holy Ghost, he lied to God. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is God. Oh, he's not the Father, but he is God. He is divine in his nature. Though he is God, he is separate and distinct from the Father. For the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father. John 15 and verse 26. And it is by the Holy Spirit that we have access unto the Father. According to Ephesians 2 and in verse 18. And as he is distinct from the Father, he is separate from the Son, He is not the Son, for He was sent in the name of the Son, according to John fourteen twenty six, And in John 15 and verse 26, He testified of the Son. When you study your Bible and you realize that there's three separate, distinct persons that make up the Godhead. That the Father is God, He's divine. The Son is God, but He's separate from the Father. And the Holy Spirit is God, and He's separate from the Father and the Son. And then there are those who come along and they try to tell us that there is but one person in the Godhead, Jesus only. You see why that creates confusion concerning the Godhead and concerning the Holy Spirit. But let me suggest to you another reason why there's a lot of confusion concerning the Spirit of God. And that is not observing how the word Spirit is used in the Bible. When I began to learn about grammar, the first rule that was impressed upon my mind is that no word is a part of speech until it first appears in context. Take the word bear, for example. The word bear occurs a good number of times throughout the pages of Divine Inspiration, and it's used different ways. You might recall in Genesis 4 and verse 13, where Cain said, My punishment is greater than I can bear. And then a little later, we read in chapter 16, where an angel told Hagar, Sarah's maid, made, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son. That's Genesis 16 and verse 11. And then I read in the giving of the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20 and verse 16, where God commanded Israel, Thou shalt not bear false witness. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 17, remember the little shepherd boy David, when he came on the scene and confronted the giant Goliath. And he told Saul in verse 34, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear. Same word, isn't it? B-E-A-R. Now let me ask you a question. Would you expect to encounter an animal every time you come across the word bear in your Bible? You wouldn't, would you? Because you realize that the word is used different ways depending on the context. No word is a part of speech until it first appears in context. And yet there are those who every time they come across that word spirit, they think they found the Holy Spirit. And they're not content with that. They'll take it a step further. And they'll assume that it is some miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit Baptism. And so not observing the use of the word Spirit, there are those who are confused about the Holy Spirit. You begin reading in Genesis and read through Revelation. And you'll find that the word Spirit appears more than 500 times throughout the Old and New Testaments. And it's put to use different ways depending on the context. Let me just give you a brief sampling of that. The word spirit is used a lot of different ways, but here are at least three different ways the word is used. Sometimes the word spirit is used of the human spirit, the spirit that the Lord formed within you. Like in James 2 and verse 26, when James said, for as the body without the spirit is dead. Now is that the Holy Spirit? That's not the Holy Spirit because the context won't allow it. No word is a part of speech until it first appears in context. And when you look at the context, you realize that it's dealing with the spirit of man. As Zechariah talked about the Lord form of the spirit of man within him. That's what he's talking about, the human spirit. And then I recognize that sometimes the word spirit is used of one's attitude or disposition. Like in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, when Paul addressed the Galatians saying, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now he's not discussing the Holy Spirit there, is he? Oh, it's the word spirit, but it's not used of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the attitude or the disposition of a man with which you seek to restore one who's overtaken in a fault. And then sometimes the word spirit does indeed appeal to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Like in the book of John chapter 7, and in verse 39, when it is recorded, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. There are two terms used interchangeably, the Spirit and the Holy Ghost. And thus the word Spirit is used of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And so here's a good way to study. Take your Bible and take a good, complete Concordance, like a Strong's Concordance, and look up the word Spirit, and then get your sheet of paper. And as you read those passages where the word Spirit is used, make you a heading. Separate out those passages where the word Spirit is used of the human spirit, write those passages under that heading. And when you find where the word Spirit is used of your attitude or disposition, put those passages under that heading. And continue to rightly divide the word of truth, and separate out those passages where the word Spirit is used of the Holy Spirit, and then search and find out everything the Holy Spirit has revealed about Himself. But a failure to observe how the word Spirit is used has created a lot of confusion. It'd be like me thinking that I've encountered an animal when I come across the word bear. But also, another reason for confusion concerning the Holy Spirit is because some have lost sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person in your study of the Holy Spirit, never overlook the fact that you're dealing with a person, a divine person, as the Holy Spirit is God. I believe that when there are those who come along and take the position that the Holy Spirit actually, literally, personally takes up residence in one's body, that they've lost sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. We'll have more to say about that, low willing, Sunday night as we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, if God permit. But Be impressed at this point with the fact that the Scriptures present the Holy Spirit as a person. Personal pronouns used with reference to the Holy Spirit indicate that He is indeed a person. In John 16 and verse 13, notice the seven personal pronouns used with reference to the Holy Spirit. Six He's and one Himself. When Jesus said, how be it when He, you might circle underscore that, The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. And so, be impressed with the fact that here are some personal pronouns used with reference to the Holy Spirit. He and himself, which indicate that the Holy Spirit is indeed A person. The way some people talk about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, you'd think that the Holy Spirit was some kind of a vapor or fog or mist that was floating throughout the air. No, He is indeed a person. And He demonstrates the actions of a person. He leads, Matthew 4, 1. Teaches and demines, John 14, 26. Testifies, John 15, 26. Reproves, John 16, 7, and 8. Guides here speaks and reveals according to John sixteen thirteen. He forbids, Acts sixteen six and seven. He bears witness, Romans eight sixteen, and he searches, 1 Corinthians two ten. All of those are actions attributed to a person. Are they not? As well, he has some things that are possessed by a person. He has knowledge and will according to 1 Corinthians two eleven and twelve eleven. And there are a number of things that can be done to him. Makes a good study. In and of itself, things that can be done to the Holy Spirit of God. And the things that can be done to the Holy Spirit indicate that he is a person. He can be blasphemed. The Lord talked about that in Matthew chapter 12 verse 31. When there were those who attributed his miraculous power to the devil. He spoke in that context of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And then he talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, when Ananias lied to the Holy Ghost. But also, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. That was the accusation of Stephen to his hearers in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, when he accused them of having resisted the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Did you know you can grieve the Holy Spirit? Paul said, grieve not the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And that's in the context of how we live. By not leading the kind of lives that God would have us to, we're guilty of grieving the Holy Spirit. But then He also can be done despite unto, in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 29. And so the many things that can be done to Him indicate that the Holy Spirit is a person. But when folks come along and they try to take a position that would deny that, or try to understand the Holy Spirit in some other way, that creates confusion. A fifth reason why there's a lot of confusion concerning the Holy Spirit is not realizing the fact that the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. Every influence that the Holy Spirit exerts upon the heart of man in convicting him of sin and affecting his new birth is accomplished in and through by the Word of God and there is no exception to that today. Notice in the book of John in chapter 16 in verse 7. Now that Jesus said that He would be going away, but that He would send the Comforter unto them in His conversation with the apostles. And then in verse 8, He said, When He is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so the work of the Holy Spirit involved the work of reproving the world of sin. Now, how does the Holy Spirit reprove of sin? Did you know that the Scriptures are profitable for reproof. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. And so we are reproved of the Holy Spirit. We are reproved through the scriptures revealed by the Spirit. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, when Paul gave charge to Timothy and all future generations of preachers for that matter, he said, preach the what? Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And so it is the work of the Holy Spirit to reprove the world of sin. But how does He do that? Does He do that directly? Does He do that separate and apart from the Word of God? Or is that accomplished by and through the Word? Why preach the Word if the Holy Spirit reproves apart from the preaching of the Word? Why have the Scriptures if the if the Scriptures are not sufficient for reproof. If you must have something separate and apart from the Scriptures. Notice in the book of Acts in chapter 2, an example of the world being reproved of sin. How did that happen? I believe that the Holy Spirit was involved in that, that the Holy Spirit reproved the world of sin, and that it was accomplished through the Word that was preached on that occasion. In Acts 2 and in verse 22, notice where... Peter said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. And he preached words about Jesus of Nazareth, how that He had been taken by wicked hands, crucified and slain. And this Jesus hath God raised up, and that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the Bible says, When they heard this, the Holy Spirit didn't operate directly upon them apart from the Word, but it was through the Word that the Bible says they heard that they were pricked in their heart. That is, they were convinced. They were reproved of sin. They were conscience smitten. And thus they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And so the Holy Spirit reproved them of sin, as the word revealed by the Holy Spirit was preached unto them, and they heard that word and gladly received His word. Verse 41. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Word of God is described as sharper than any two-edged sword. And he said, Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And when Paul appealed to the Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God, he said in chapter 6 and verse 17, To take the sword of the Spirit, which is, which is what? The Word of God. And so the Spirit exercises His influence, His power in piercing and penetrating the hearts of men and women through the Word of God. That's exactly what happened on Pentecost. When they heard this, they were pricked, they were pierced in their heart, and thus said, What shall we do? Now, notice in Acts chapter 7, in the context of Stephen's answer to the false accusers, that in verse 51, he said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. How did they resist the Holy Ghost? He said, as your fathers did. And then he said in verse 52, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? In the history book of Nehemiah, in chapter 9 and verse 30, the Bible talks about the Spirit in the prophets. And so the prophets spoke by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when there were those that rejected the word preached by the prophets, God's messengers, they were in essence resisting the Holy Spirit. And so they had a long history of that. And in Acts 7, Stephen shows that they're like their fathers and that they too have rejected the word of God. He said... They have slain them which showed before of the coming of the Just One, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. And so that shows that to resist the Holy Spirit is to reject the Word of God, and thus the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. Notice now two parallel passages. Ephesians emphasizing the glory and grandeur of the church. And Colossians, the position and preeminence of Christ, these are companion books. In Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, Paul said, Be not drunk with wine wherein it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's what you might call replacement therapy. Where a person may have a history of drinking, he puts that away, he replaces that with being filled with the Spirit. Did you know it's a command to be filled with the Spirit? It is. And one of the characteristics of a Spirit-filled person is that he enjoys worship. He enjoys singing. Verse 19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now take up the companion book and the parallel passage in the third chapter of Colossians. In verse 16 when he said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so in Ephesians 5, what's he say? Be filled with the Spirit, singing. What's he saying Colossians 3? Let the Word dwell in you, singing. And so the Spirit of God dwells in you as the Word of Christ dwells in you. And as the Word of the Lord dwells in you, the Spirit is said to dwell in you. And so that shows that the Spirit of God works through the medium, through the agency, through the instrumentality of the Word and not separate and apart from it. But when there are those who come along and suggest that the Holy Spirit works separate and apart from, independent of the Word, that He must perform some direct special operation upon your heart, that creates confusion. And then again, there's a lot of confusion concerning the Holy Spirit because of diversity among those claiming direct operation. Or some kind of a special miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit, like Holy Spirit baptism. Now you don't have to talk to too many people in the religious world to come across those who claim to have the same thing. Maybe they both claim to have received Holy Spirit baptism. And yet, when you talk to them a little bit, you soon find out that they're not even members of the same body, that they're members of different denominations. And and as you talk to them a little more, you find out that they don't speak the same thing. They don't teach the same doctrine. That their doctrines are contradictory even. And so that creates confusion. The Bible teaches that there is one body, one spirit, and one baptism. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And so when you have an individual who claims to have received the one spirit in a special way, and another person who claims to receive the same spirit in that same way, and offers the same evidence, you might ask, why are you not members of the same body? For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. First Corinthians 12 and verse 13. And thus we read in Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 6, members of the same body. Why are they not members of the same body? Why are they members of different denominations? You see, that creates confusion, doesn't it? Here you talk to one fellow and he says, I received Holy Spirit baptism... And I can speak in tongues, and he's a member of a different body than another fellow over here who claims to receive the Holy Spirit the same way and offers the same evidence alleged tongue speaking. And why do their doctrines not agree? Why do they not teach the same thing? Since there is but one Spirit, and he's identified as the Spirit of truth in John 14 and verse 17, why do their teachings not agree? Paul said that there be no divisions among you but they all speak the same thing in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. Why are you not speaking the same thing? Here you talk to one fellow and he claims to receive some direct operation of the Holy Spirit. He said the Spirit fell on me and I received Holy Spirit baptism and began to speak with tongues. And another fellow says the same thing. And you compare their teachings and one of them saying that there are three persons in the Godhead the other is telling you there's only one person in the Godhead. It can't be both ways. It can't be true that there are three separate, distinct persons in the Godhead, and at the same time, it be true that there's just one person in the Godhead, Jesus only. And then one of them's telling you that water baptism is necessary for salvation, and the other one's telling you, no, water baptism is not necessary for salvation. It can't be both ways, can it? And one's telling you that you received the Holy Spirit like that before you're baptized. Another one's saying, no, it doesn't come until after you're baptized. You see how that creates confusion? Because of the diversity among those in the religious world who claim some special manifestation or direct operation of the Holy Spirit. And then finally tonight, another reason for confusion is because there are those who do not understand different ways the Holy Spirit manifests Himself. The Bible talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John made an announcement about that and it's recorded in all four of the gospel accounts that there was coming one after him, that's Jesus. He said that shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next to him, verse 38, when folks heard the preaching of Peter and they're pricked in the heart, they said, what shall we do? And they're told, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive, receive what? The gift of the Holy Ghost. That's separate and distinct from what the Bible teaches about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't take what the Bible reveals about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that column and move it over to the second column, to the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you expect to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit after you're baptized, when the Bible talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be confused about that. And then the Bible talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, plural. Or spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul said that he would not have them to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. And he identifies nine of those in that chapter. Like the gift of tongues and working of miracles and knowledge, supernatural abilities. And there are those who think that when they're baptized, they're going to receive gifts of the Holy Spirit. They substitute gifts from 1 Corinthians 12 to gift in Acts 2 and verse 38. You can't take that information and move it to another column lest you be confused about that. And then there's what the Bible reveals about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that the Spirit of God dwells in the child of God. And there's confusion about that because there are those who think that when the Holy Spirit dwells within the child of God that that implies some kind of a miraculous manifestation. And there's controversy over how he does it if he does that actually literally and personally or does he do that through the agency through the medium of the word of god not understanding the difference between baptism gift singular gifts plural and indwelling of the holy spirit there are those who are confused about the holy spirit and if god permit tomorrow night we shall talk about the baptism of the holy spirit in the bible class time on the lord's day the gift singular, of the Holy Spirit, during the worship hour, the gifts, plural, of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll conclude our series of studies Sunday evening with reference to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Why is it that folks are confused about it, not knowing the Scriptures, reading books written by men about the Holy Spirit in place of the book that was revealed by the Holy Spirit? Who better to tell us and to inform us about the Holy Spirit than the Holy Spirit Himself? because of false teaching concerning the Godhead. When men come along and say, there's just one person in the Godhead, Jesus only. Not observing the use of the word Spirit. To find the word Spirit and assume it's the Holy Spirit. And then to assume that it's some miraculous manifestation like Holy Spirit baptism. Losing sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not realizing that He works through the Word because of the diversity among those claiming direct operation of the Holy Spirit and not understanding the different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. There is no need for all this confusion concerning the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible is clear in its teaching. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 3, 3-5. He pointed out that we may understand the revelation by the Spirit. And those in Ephesus were commanded in chapter 5 and in verse 17, Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so as you and I read and study, we can come to understand what the Holy Spirit has revealed about Himself. And it was the work of the Holy Spirit to reprove the world of sin. As we read the Word of God, as we hear the Word of God read and proclaimed, it ought to cause us to be reproved of sin. We ought to listen with honest and good hearts like those on the day of Pentecost, who when they were pricked in their heart, they said, what shall we do? And that's the greatest question that any could ask. When I come to realize that I have sinned and that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. I need to have the heart that asks, what shall I do? And they were told, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And when they had those honest and good hearts, the Bible says, they that gladly received His word were baptized. You know when they were baptized? The same day. We read on in Acts 16 where there was one baptized the same hour, about midnight. Why well, obey the Lord the same day, the same hour. I may not have another day. I may not even have another hour. And so it's a matter of urgency. That's why 2 Corinthians 6, 2 talks about today is the day of salvation. You see, the Holy Spirit has revealed within this volume God's plan for making us righteous involves hearing the gospel, believing it with all of our heart, repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in the Son of God, being buried with Him in baptism, rising to walk in newness of life, that new sphere of life, to be faithful unto death. And after we obey the gospel, if we find ourselves like Simon, who was in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity, his heart was not right in the sight of God. The Holy Spirit has revealed what to do about that. To repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven." And you remember what his attitude was? He said, "Pray for me, and that ought to be ours as well. And if we can assist you tonight in making a life right with God, won't you come now as we stand and sing the song?